Welcome to our worship service for Sunday, August 16th, the 11th Sunday after Pentecost. Our scripture lesson this morning comes to us from the book of Genesis. We will begin this morning in the 25th chapter, starting at the 19th verse, and we will read until Genesis 50, verse 26. 25th chapter of Genesis through the 50th chapter of Genesis. Let us begin our reading. And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to his wife, the daughter of Bethuel. Joseph was daddy's favorite. He was, after all, the first son born to Rachel, the girl Jacob fell in love with, when he first left to live with his mother Rebekah's brother Laban. Jacob left home and had a dream about a ladder because his brother Esau was really angry when Jacob had taken seriously the deal they had over a bowl of lentils he wanted coming in from hunting. Jacob had been cooking when Esau came in and said, That smells really great. Give me some. Jacob said, You can have the stew provided you give me your birthright. Esau said, What's a birthright when I'm starving to death? Jacob said, okay, except the birthright really wasn't exactly a contract that could be traded. It was a one-time blessing of the father. So in order to continue his plan, Jacob needed to fool Isaac, their father, who didn't know about Esau's traded birthright. So Isaac tells Esau to go hunt him some meat so they can have dinner before he blesses him. When Esau leaves, Rebekah, who loved Jacob more, told him how to trick Isaac into blessing him instead of Esau. So he made himself all stinky, like he'd been out on a hunting trip, and Rebecca cooked up some roasted goat from the flocks and put the skin on Jacob's arm and neck. Isaac was old and kind of losing it. Actually, he was never all that bright. Even as a kid, he almost let his dad Abraham sacrifice him. But anyway, Isaac was going blind. So when Jacob came to see his dad, Isaac said, Wow, that was fast. You just left, and you don't sound like Esau. But Jacob said he had a cold. But Isaac did say he smelled like Esau and reached out to touch Esau's arm. And it was Jacob's arm that Rebekah had covered with goatskin, so it felt rough and hairy like Esau's did. So Isaac blesses Jacob instead of Esau. And when Esau comes back with some game for his dad, Isaac said he's already blessed him. Esau points out that he could have blessed him because you're out hunting. Then Isaac realizes he's blessed the wrong son, which... Later, is kind of funny, because that's exactly what Jacob's uncle Laban did to him on his wedding night, playing the old switcheroo by giving him Leah rather than Rachel, which meant Jacob needed to work another seven years to get the wife he really wanted, that was Rachel. Then Leah had a bunch of kids, and Rachel didn't have any. Leah made fun of Rachel, so the sisters were pushing their servants on Jacob so they could have more kid credit in the house. And then Rachel finally had a son named Joseph. And they went back with Jacob to his home where Esau said he was cool about the whole stolen birthright thing. He'd married one of their second half-cousins, a granddaughter of Ishmael. Then there's Genesis 34, which is one of those chapters of the Bible that you read and realize it will never make it to VeggieTale episode. So we just skip on to chapter 35, where we learn that Rachel, Jacob's son number 12, Benjamin, and then Rachel dies in childbirth, which made Jacob inconsolable. 
and pour way too much attention on Joseph and baby Benjamin, while the other ten brothers were sick and tired of having their father pick on Leah, their mother, it wasn't her fault that Grandpa Laban had been a jerk, and it certainly hadn't stopped Jacob from having babies with her. So Joseph was more than willing to rub it in, having dream after dream in which he ended up with the ten of them bowing down to the one of him. So when they were at distant pasture in the high country a few days away and Joseph was sent to check on them, they were done with his arrogance and decided to kill him. Except Reuben, the eldest, gets cold feet and tells his brothers that it would be wrong to kill Joseph, so they should just put him in a dry well where he would die of dehydration. That would mean they didn't really kill him, and they would just tell their dad they never saw him, and he must have been gotten lost and been eaten by bears. Reuben, trying to be the reasonable big brother, thought he would come back around and rescue Joseph from the dry well and bring him home, and his dad would be really impressed and finally pay attention to him, even though he was one of Leah's kids. But just then, Judah, brother number four, sees a caravan of traveling salesmen and suggests they sell Joseph into slavery, and that way they would have some beer money, and the rest of the brothers agreed, and Joseph heads off to the slave market in Egypt. The brothers split the 20 they get for Joseph and realize that if they hurry to happy hour, they'll get there for the free buffet, but not before they take Joseph's coat and get it all messed up with some goat blood and convince Jacob that Joseph was killed by wild animals, which, when they finally get home, Jacob, who is now called Israel because of the fight he had with the angel back before he reunited with Esau, Jacob believes their story, which is also sort of funny because Jacob had tricked his dad with a dead goat to get his brother Esau's birthright, and now another dead goat fools Jacob. Talk about karma. Then the brothers feel kind of bad because Jacob is a mess over losing Joseph, and he remembers that Joseph's mom, Rachel, is also dead, and then he'd start crying all over again, and when they tried to cheer him up, they not only started feeling guilty because they were responsible for Joseph being gone, but Israel would then just say he was going to die a broken man. In Egypt, the traders find out that Joseph can read, so he gets top price at the market from one of Pharaoh's generals. Then there's the 38th chapter of Genesis, which we never read because the story is really inappropriate for children, and when you think about it, kind of awkward for adults too. Anyway, Potiphar, who needs someone to manage his house when he's off generaling, Potiphar's wife is feeling neglected and starts day drinking when Mr. Potiphar is off doing general stuff, so she starts thinking that Joseph looks pretty hot and throws herself at Joseph, who realizes this could break really bad for him. So when Mrs. Potiphar starts undressing Joseph, he runs out of the house, and he's there in the yard naked, and the neighbors send a messenger to Mr. Potiphar, who comes home and believes his wife's story that Joseph was the aggressor, so Joseph goes to jail. For a second time, he ends up in chains, having lost his coat. Time goes by in prison, and the warden is so impressed with Jacob's administrative skills that he puts him in charge of the place and makes sure that Joseph gets two pitas on hummus night, and things are great for Joseph, except for the part that he's in one of those prisons where you just disappear, because when you're charged with fooling around with a general's wife, you don't get parole. Then, one night, after a really bad party at Pharaoh's palace, the sommelier and the chief baker end up in the same prison. Pharaoh took his parties seriously, and when the wine steward served a cabernet with the fish course, and the baker slipped up and used salt instead of sugar for the raspberry souffle, their jobs were toast. Like most new inmates in Pharaoh's prison of the disappeared, these two guys start having nightmares, so one morning during roll call, when they looked really bad even for, for prisoners, Joseph asked what was wrong, and they told him about their nightmares. 
The Sumerian said that he dreamt about three vines and grapes and presenting wine to the Pharaoh, and Joseph told him that in three days he would have his old job back, and when he did, if he could put in a kind word for his old slammer partner Joseph, he'd really appreciate it. Hearing this, the baker was excited to tell his dream, which was about three baskets of bread that he was carrying on his head to the Pharaoh. And birds came and ate all the bread from the top basket. And Joseph told them that the three baskets were three days, and in three days he would be hanged, and birds would eat him like they did the bread. Three days later, Pharaoh has another party, and the guests come and tell him that red wine can be served with fish, provided it is firm like a swordfish or an ahi tuna. And where could get, they get more of that Cabernet because Egyptian wine is really dreck? So he had to invite his wine steward back up from the dungeon and just pretend like the whole thing was a joke. Meanwhile, the guests were still making fun of the souffle at the last party, so he had the baker hanged. And the sommelier completely forgot to put in a good word for Joseph. That was until Pharaoh had a series of nightmares himself that would wake him up in the middle of the night and he would scream for someone to explain what the dreams were about and nobody could. Except when Pharaoh asked for the wine steward to open up one of the good bottles of Cabernet, he overheard the discussion, and the two years that had passed since Joseph asked him to remember now came to his mind, and he finally remembered Joseph. He mentioned to Pharaoh, uh, if, sir, I may be so bold, I know a guy. Long story short, Joseph is dragged up from the dungeon. Pharaoh tells his dreams, and Joseph, who used to dream himself, quickly knew their meaning. Seems Egypt was in for seven outrageous harvest bumper crops, excess from one end of the kingdom to the other, wealth beyond imagination. But this plenty was going to be followed by seven years of famine, so broad, so all-encompassing, so devastating, that whoever would have any food at all could become phenomenally rich. Grain futures, Pharaoh. Build storage facilities, dry the grain, and clean up on the backside of the market. Seven years too much, followed by seven years of cornered commodities. Pharaoh was impressed and put Joseph in charge of the whole operation. Meanwhile, back at Israel's house, the 11 brothers, 10 plus baby brother Benjamin, who, by the way, was left-handed, but I dropped that in for my mom, who was left-handed and always points that out. Anyway, we're still running the sheep business until things get bad. No rain, pasture land dries up, grain gets expensive. Jacob, who spends more time listening to the news than his sons did, tells them to stop standing around with their bare faces hanging out. They needed to go to Egypt and buy some grain because that's where the market was that still had product. So the ten brothers head south to Egypt, not bringing Benjamin because somebody had to stay home with Dad and he wasn't going to let Benjamin out of his sight. They get in a socially distanced line at the Egyptian granary, and Joseph, who is in charge of everything, recognizes his brothers and has them pulled out of the line by the guards. They come to Joseph's office, which is really nice, and he has one of the really expensive suit coats, and the brothers have no idea it's Joseph. Now he's better dressed, and they, of course, don't recognize him. Joseph accuses them of being spies. They all tremble and bow down like they're before the great Oz. Joseph tells them that he still thinks they're spies and throws them in jail for three days. At the end, Joseph lets him go and tells him if they're coming back, they need to bring their little brother, and in the meantime, he would hold one of them in prison so they would come back with the little boy. Joseph picks Israel's number two son, Simeon, to stay, and they all leave with their grain, except Joseph puts the payment back in their grain bags, and when they get home, they feel like they're set up and in serious trouble. Time goes by, clearly no one misses Simeon because they're more than comfortable leaving him in Egypt, except Reuben, who keeps telling his brothers that this was all an awful punishment for their selling Joseph into slavery and lying to Dad. 
Anyway, the famine continues and they start getting hungry again, so the brothers beg their dad, Israel, to let them go back with Benjamin to buy more grain in Egypt. He finally agrees, but tells them to take extra gifts to the manager guy to ensure that little lefty Benjamin comes home safely. Again, no mention of Simeon, the forgotten second child. They arrive in Egypt, Joseph pulls him out of line, and when he sees his little brother Benjamin, he chokes up so much that he has to go to the men's room to wash off his face. He brings Simeon out, and they all say, oh yeah, Simeon. And then Joseph invites the brothers to eat dinner, which is odd because the name cards at the place settings are all in proper age order. The brothers depart with their grain and with Benjamin. A few miles out of town, they're pulled over, and a patrolman tells them that someone has stolen the manager's cup from his office. The manager was particularly fond of that cup. He'd won it at a dream interpretation championship, and whoever took it was in really serious trouble. The brothers protest, but Joseph had planted the cup in Benjamin's bag, so when the patrolman finds the cup with Benjamin's grain, the whole lot of them are drugged back into custody and to Joseph, who tells the brothers they can go home, but Benjamin the thief is going to prison. Well, they weep and they wail and they tell the manager they can't do that because it would kill their father, and they promised they would bring Benjamin back safely, and they explained why their father Israel would be so broken up because he'd already lost another son, Benjamin's full brother Joseph. Reuben offered himself as a trade for Benjamin, and Joseph just couldn't take it anymore. He reveals himself to his brothers and tells them to go get their dad and families and come south and live with him. Of course, the brothers have to go home and tell their dad exactly how Joseph ended up alive. Israel is so excited, they pack up everything, the kids, the livestock, grandkids, dads, water jugs, everything. His brothers thought Joseph would punish them by making them his slaves. But Joseph instead gave them a land in Egypt to settle and flourish, a land that was gifted to Joseph by a grateful Pharaoh for the work he had done during the plenty and during the famine. Joseph welcomed his brothers and his father and all of their children and grandchildren to the land of Goshen which became a southern old-timey expression of surprise. Land of Goshen, because it was a surprise to have God paying attention all along. And Joseph said to them, Do not be am afraid. I not in the place of am God? I in the place of God? But as for you, Even though you ye thought evil against me, God but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly unto them. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt in his father's house, and Joseph lived an hundred and ten years old. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children also of Machar, son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knee. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die. And God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land into a land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones hence. So Joseph died, being a hundred and ten years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Thus endeth the reading. Twenty-five chapters of the book of Genesis in under 15 minutes. A whole wide and rambling multi-generational story that concludes with a reminder that it was God who was looking over them all along. Land of Goshen. My grandmother used to say Land of Goshen. 
She wasn't from the South, but she was of another era. And one of her favorite poems is the same image of God looking upon us. It was read at her funeral. It was in the back of her Bible that was well-worn. And these are the words by B.M. Franklin. My life is but a weaving between the Lord and me. I cannot choose the colors. He worketh steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper, and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly, shall God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needful as the weaver's skillful hand, as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. As you pray this week, remember that we see the story from the underside of the weaver, from the narrow focus of our time frame, but a God who loves us, has been watching us all along and is planning it for good, even as he planned his son, Jesus the Christ, to bring to us salvation, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.